Hi, and welcome to School of Hustle. I'm your host, Sarah, and this is the show where we chat with everyday entrepreneurs about everything that goes into starting a new venture. The restaurant industry makes up 15.6 million jobs and had $863 billion in U.S. sales in 2019, the majority of which being small, family-owned restaurants with less than 50 employees. And today I'm interviewing the co-founder of one of my favorite New York restaurants, Dave Ethan of The Gray Dog. The Gray Dog started on a quiet West Village street in 1996 when two brothers, Dave and Pete, decided to open a restaurant without any business experience or a real plan. The message was simple, to create a place where people would want to be. And guess what? It worked. Today they have five locations in New York and are known for their delicious food produced locally and welcoming nature. Dave, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the show and being in your new location here in the Flatiron. Well, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Well, I've been a big fan of the Grey Dog since college, and I love your vibe. I love the food here. So tell me about how you started the Grey Dog. Where did the idea come from? You and your brother had never started a business, so why why decide, let's start a restaurant together? All right. So... Pete and I were working in New York City at the time doing, you know, basically restaurant work. Mm. Um, and I was working for this guy who, he, he wasn't terribly bright, but <laughs> he, he was really good at what he did in a cafe. And it gave me the confidence to be like, oh man, if this guy can make this work, <laughs> I can I definitely. definitely do this too. <laughs> so I got together with Pete and we were both feeling like, it's sort of confident, yeah. And we had a little bit of money saved up, like maybe maybe I had twenty five thousand bucks, okay. and he probably had like uh, closer to forty. But back in those days, you could do something, right? You can actually do something with that money. Yeah, and so you know, he he went around, walked around, tried to find an area that didn't have a Starbucks, and that was our research. That's really hard. <laughs> back then, it wasn't that hard. But oh, there, really? He contacted a landlord, and without any research into a location. He's like, hey, Dave, I think I found the spot. There's nothing around here. <laughs> and without really knowing the neighborhood at all, we, we called the number on the store. There was a landlord's number. Mm-hmm. Called them up, set up an appointment. And like, I don't know, like a, a week later, we had a lease and, and you know, no game plan. You have the best story because it's so laid back. And I think that shows the vibe of your overall restaurant as well. The moment you step in, you feel like your family. It's very chill. It's good food. So how do you decide on what type of restaurant to actually bring into this location that you found in such a laid back way? Well, you, you got to go with what you know. Right. Right. And so... We knew simple food. Whatever we like to eat, that's probably the stuff we know how to cook. You know, that was the idea. But I guess if we circle all the way back, we're looking at, we were just a coffee shop back then. Oh, okay. Um, Did you serve, like, little things to go with the coffee, like biscuits and cookies? Right, and we, like we ordered in baked goods, muffins and stuff, but we didn't really have much of a menu. Okay. It was really, it was predominantly going to be a coffee shop. Oh. But then... It doesn't make any business sense, but customers, they just hang out there. And after a little while, they, they were craving more. So we take this space and it's got a kitchen. 
But, but we, you didn't need a kitchen. But we didn't originally. need a kitchen. So we were just storing stuff in the kitchen. Because uh-huh. it was just, oh, put all that stuff back there. You know? we, don't, we don't need it. And all we needed was a cutting board because we, we were like, we'll do pre-made sandwiches. You know, slice up some cold cuts. Yeah. Um, and put it on some bread and wrap it up, put it on the counter. There wasn't much attention back then to... But they sold and you could see that people were interested in also eating there. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the point I'm getting at. So customers would come in with groceries and say, hey... You mind if I use the kitchen and I'm just going to make myself an omelet? See, this is what I mean. This <laughs> restaurant is so laid back. <laughs> I can remember all these guys' names and, you know, they come in with, like, chopped meat and they're like, hey, can I make a burger here? Uh-huh. And then they just go behind the counter and can put, like, ten... Can I make like, a burger ten... here? That's a whole thing. Yeah, no, they'd clean up after themselves. They were just looking for a home. They were wow. looking to hang out. And so our menu started to develop in a way where, like, well, if this guy wants a burger, let's put a burger on the menu. If this guy wants an omelet, let's do that. And pretty soon we had a fairly expansive menu that, you know, had basically everything that our customers wanted. So you really just kind of chose the items on the menu based off of what customers asked for or made in your kitchen. I mean, it's not totally the case, but yeah, pretty much. And now I understand when you say we didn't do much research because the customers kind of came to you with what they wanted. Yeah, it wasn't our idea to start with, you know, cooks and all that. So your idea was just a coffee shop? Coffee shop with pre-made sandwiches. So coffee can be quite complex these days. Mm -hmm. So did you start with all of those different complicated drinks or did you just have kind of like latte, coffee? uh... Back then, you're talking the 90s. So the, the big thing back then was having 20 different types of coffee. French vanilla, hazelnut, you know, coconut, blah, 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 all this flavored stuff. Oh. Uh, eventually, we got rid of that. It was mm-hmm. taking up too much room, and it really wasn't what we wanted to do. Um, for a while, I think, you know, how you advertise, like, best cup of coffee in New York City. Yeah. We actually were for a little while. Really? Yeah. Like, I'm dating myself. It, you know, but we won a couple times, so. That's great. So that was good publicity for the coffee shop. Yeah. So it's called the Gray Dog. Can you talk about why it's called the Gray Dog? Because I always was curious myself. Yeah, I, which version do I give you? Um, <laughs> back when Pete and I were dreaming up this idea, we're sitting on our law in this loft apartment that, you know, I think it was probably an illegal rent at the time. And we don't have kids, we don't have wives, mm-hmm. but we had our dogs. He had a black lab named Goose, and I had a yellow lab named Moose. So we were sitting on the couch, and I don't know if anybody was smoking or if. We were drinking, but, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, it's just us. Why don't we combine their colors and, you know, you take a yellow dog that's really kind of white and a black dog, you put them together and you got a gray dog. So it was a morphed dog between your two dogs. It made sense at the time. I would have never guessed that was the story. People spend a lot of money these days coming up with, you know, concepts. But, you know, you're a testament to just keep it simple and deliver what customers want because that's working perfectly. Don't overthink it. Right. It's like back to basics and basics never fail. Right. Basics never fail. You mentioned that you had some savings to fund the restaurant, but I know restaurants in New York, it's very expensive real estate, often very low margins. So how did you go about funding this and making sure that it will work long term? We were pretty careful. I mean, it took us 20 four years to get to this many restaurants, but it took us 10 years to go from one to two. 
Wow. And back then, we weren't making a lot of money. We were doing it because we were, we were having fun. Yeah. And then we saved. And when it got to the point where we could afford number two and it wasn't going to sink number one if it didn't do well, we, we took a shot. And that one did better than number one. Really? So, Why do you think that did better than number one? Uh, it hit the right crowd. It was a different location that maybe was like more appropriate for... It was University Place. So oh, M- it was NYU. That's the first one I ever went to. That's the first one most people go to because yeah. we, we get, you know, all the college kids. Mm-hmm. And then as they expand throughout the city, we get them all the way up through having their own kids now. Yes, this is accurate because yeah. I'm literally that person. <laughs> that's it, yeah. <laughs> so you know very well. That was the home run location. Yeah. And then after that, so it took 10 years to get to two. You got to two and it sounds like that did very well quickly. So how long until you got to number three? Well, this is where like things got taken out of our hands a little bit. Pete and I didn't really have these plans to expand and make it a, you know, multi-chain restaurant. Yeah, you, what was your, your long-term vision for this? We had to pivot on certain things where our landlord at the original location started to get to be a... Can I curse? I can't curse. It, it's, it, in the process of the 10 years... Pete had established a killer catering business okay. that we were running out of the basement of the Carmine location. Mm-hmm. So probably 12 years in, the landlord gets frisky with the rent and mm. he starts causing trouble and saying, I'm going to take away your basement space. I want this. I want that. Because he heard you're being successful, so he wants a part of it. He wanted to be a partner. So Was that legal with your contract that you had? None of it's legal it's just business that's the way new york works and if you have a good relationship with a landlord you could you could work it out for sure um we had trouble so he took away our catering space which because you didn't want to make him a partner as well (laughs) right i didn't want to make him a partner. which is understandable it's like the business you grew from nothing to now a success exactly yeah so we looked for another space um that would have a huge basement so Mm. That's how we wound up in the Chelsea location. It wasn't out of, let's get bigger and bigger. It was out of, man, we got to save the catering business. Let's find yeah. a space that isn't too expensive and has a huge basement. So is the catering business separate from the Grey Dog? Or is it part? Is it just another option from the Grey Dog? So you can order a catered meal from the Grey Dog, I guess is my question. You could order catering meals from, like NYU became a huge customer. Yeah. Um, and they'd bring in lunches you know, for 40, 50 people. It became a major business. And Pete created something super special. It's yeah. thus been, catering's not doing too well right now. Well, it's, uh, we're during COVID. Yeah. So, yeah. But I'm sure it will pick back up. People will always want to have things catered in the future. I, I hope so. Yeah. It, it, was a, it was a good business. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we took the Chelsea space because okay. of that. Oh, okay. And then a year later, Google opened up across the street. Wow. And it was just like, oh, man, this this is pretty lucky. And that's a really cool location. Yes. So here we are growing, growing, and, you know, it's working out, but it, it's not planned. It's still not planned. You say it's not planned, but you can't ignore that you guys are really good at what you do. You know, like, I feel like you're being very modest right now because the food is great. And what I've always been impressed with is no matter which gray dog I go into, I feel like 
I'm family. For those of you that haven't been, when you come into a gray dog, the first thing that normally happens is someone will approach you and say, do you want to sit down? And then they'll look for a table and reserve a table for you while you wait in line to get your food. And I always thought that was so cool because one of the frustrations with New York is you wait in line for the food and then you have to like look around and try to like quickly scurry somewhere to find a table. And I love that about it. It worked out because we never stopped having fun. Yeah. We never treated it like a business. You know, a lot of restaurants would say, this is our family. The staff is, you know, family. My team really feels that way. They really felt that way. And it became about the staff. Yeah. Where they made the customers feel so damn good. They didn't focus on some of the things that weren't so restaurant quality. I don't know what things you're talking about, but I think I think everything's restaurant quality. Speaking of the food, uh, you guys focus on locally sourced ingredients. Uh, most of your food comes from New York and Connecticut within 200 miles. Within reason, obviously, you can't get an avocado grown here. Right. Uh, why did you decide to do that? When we decided that we were going to, now we're going to grow. Yeah. Now we're going to take on some investment what, money. How many years did that take for you to say, okay, now let's grow? 23 years. It's <laughs> the so last year. Right. It's, so we decided, okay, you know what? Time to get a game plan together. Let's really grow. Because so, you didn't have a game plan for the four restaurants that were successful. That was just luck. We just worked hard. We like being here. Yeah, I know. It's, it's um, like, I, I mean, it's it's great. Everything's phenomenal. You have a very high quality standard in a laid back environment. That's very it, rare to find. That's kind of the way I'd like to keep it. Yeah. But, so we, we brought in investment money. Mm-hmm. We brought in a team of really talented people. Alan is our is our chef. You know, a lot of chefs don't want to spend their time making, you know, avocado toast. You know, yeah, they, sure. they want to thrill the world with stuff. But he was all about, let's pay people livable wages and let's bring in everything locally that we can. Um, he partnered up with a bunch of farms around here mm-hmm. and started creating a menu that would be, you know, really responsible. I want to know, if there's one thing people should order, in your opinion, when they come here, what would you say it is? If you could be here at 6 o'clock in the morning and see the egg delivery guy come in, he's, he's got feathers and stuff all over him. He's, uh, so it's very organic. You're oh, hand-gathered eggs. Yeah. Uh, wow. like so, and he's just shipping them down from about an hour, hour away, and you can't get fresher. So the eggs are off the charts. Oh, I'm going to have to try that. A lot of the stuff is off the charts. Are there any local farms you work with that you're particularly excited about? We love working with Rocksteady Farm. Uh, it's a local farm, queer-owned, again, one of those partnerships that I could be super proud of. Yeah. We even have a cocktail named after them, really? the Rocksteady. I name cocktails after my favorite things. So, that, that's something we're super proud of, and we use their greens in all our salads. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever they grow, we figure out a way to put into our menu. So is it is it mainly vegetables, or do you get fruits from them too? Uh, whatever they have, they have great flowers too. Oh, um, nice! I, I went up there. That, oh, this is a cool story, right? So yeah. we go up to this farm as a group. Um, whenever we get the opportunity and they put us to work. So I think I, I spent one day eight hours weeding their flower beds. Oh, it's my goodness. Like filled with bugs and dirt. And it was, 
It, but it was one of the most satisfying days yeah. I've had in the last year. Just knowing, like, seeing the field where we're getting all our food. I never had that experience. Right. You know, it was back in those days when it wasn't really a focus, you know, where the tomatoes were coming from. But now, like, oh, damn. Those are, those you are see it tomatoes. direct from the source, so you yeah. know how good it really is. Yeah, and they're, they're like, hey, can we uh, bum a ride to the city with this for you? Yeah. Now, I heard that there's a very interesting story involving bread and a motorcycle. Can you please share this story with me? Yeah, we got to go back. Okay. We, we got to go back to the beginning. So okay. the, the guy who was bringing all the bread that we were making the sandwiches with, mm -hmm. his name was Rick, Sticky Rick. He had a bakery in the East Village, Sticky Finger. He's not Sticky there anymore. Rick in the East Village. Yeah, or he doesn't was, get more New York than that name. You know, oh, he was great. He he was uh, he he was in the Hell's Angels, and had a beard down to here. Wow. Tats everywhere. Gigantic guy. Bullet holes like everywhere. Bullet holes. Yeah, he'd been shot several times. Oh, like actual Real, bullet yeah, stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> <laughs> he would deliver our bread on the back of his chopper. Wow. But we had these French doors that would open up, and he would drive the chopper right into the store. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, Dave. All right, he called me boy. Boy, here's your bread. <laughs> I miss that guy. That's amazing. So how did the investment help your business expand? Uh, well, I mean, it gave us the capital we needed to <laughs> turn a mom-and-pop shop into a real business. Yeah. We, uh, I was contacted by this guy, Johnny Hill who has become our partner. He reached out and said, asked if we had any interest in expanding. And so he and I went for a walk around Chinatown. And after about three hours, we realized, oh man, there's a connection here. And he was in the investment world. Mm -hmm. uh, but he wanted to do good investments, for lack of a better word. So he created a company called Lanyap that would be focusing entirely on investing into companies that are going to make the planet better, um, companies that would focus on being green, companies that would focus on living wages. He made a promise to all his investors. Um, he's like, okay, I'm going to set this up. Our first investment is going to be Grey Dog, and we're going to turn them into a B Corp. What are the benefits of a B Corp? B Corp is a framework for using business as a force for good. And so what, what changes are you guys doing in your business today? Starting with the reboot of Grey Dog, which this is Grey Dog 2.0. The Flatiron store. The yep. Flatiron. Yep. We, we have this amazing dude, Sam, who we're getting to be a B Corp. We're close okay. for this location. But now we're a green restaurant space here. And with Alan, our food is just going towards more and more local and our staff now, everybody, you know, with Melissa at the helm of HR, you know, everybody gets a living wage now. This is all stuff that doesn't really happen in the restaurant yeah. world. It and doesn't this happen is because of the investment allowed you to do these things. Well, that was what it was pointed at. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah, we use that money to create good. That's, That's uh, wonderful. And a game plan. Yeah, and you right. had a business plan. Now. Yeah, yeah, now, just 24 years later. <laughs> it, but it's working out, so now we're in your new location. It's coming mm -hmm. together beautifully. What does it take to get something like this started? Because me looking around, I mean, there's a lot going on here. It takes a pandemic ending. <laughs> Great. That's, 
the first thing. Still working um, on that. Right. This one was the first time that Pete and I had to collaborate with other people. Now we had a lot of people who are significant players in the company who would be like, well, I think the beam should be lower or the sandwich selection needs to be this. So it took us, it took us quite a while just to get comfortable in making decisions together. Right, because before it was just you and uh, Pete. It was, it was just us and it was like, there was a lot of trust. Right. And I was like, hey, you got this, man. You know what you're doing. Yeah. And it never bothered to question anything Pete would do. He was, you know, he was brilliant in my mind. He's still brilliant in my mind. Um, but we were just having fun. And then he'd be like, all right, you got this. I don't have to think about it. So you it. guys kind of, uh, you would do certain aspects and he would do certain aspects. And mm -hmm. you always did that for all the other locations. Yeah, absolutely. But now this one, because you have an investor, you have to clear everything by them. We... Right. We had to, we had a new set of standards we had to work with. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the pandemic. Obviously, that was a devastating thing to happen to many restaurants um, worldwide. Uh, what have you done to try to move forward after something like that happening and having to close down your restaurants for multiple months and only having outdoor dining? We're staying positive. Mm -hmm. That's all we can do. We've been dealt We've been dealt a hand that, yeah, I mean, it, it sucks, it, it, yeah. it, but it sucks for a lot of people. We're trying to make a go at it. You know, we, we had to do everything on the fly, right? We've never done table service. In the first two weeks, you know, we still set up a kiosk outside. My brother made these incredible stands, like a lemonade stand for everybody. And, and we were doing like 60 bucks a day. And we're like, oh boy, this isn't going to work. And so we, we got permission to go out into the street. Um, like everybody else, and we built these pretty cool spaces, but we were still using this kiosk style, and we weren't doing well. And then it was like a quick pivot. All right, yeah. table service. Well, Grey Dog's never done table service. Right. right. We also have this new menu that we were going to launch at this store, which is meant to be, you know, lighter and healthier. Mm. Right. Where we just wanted to jump into, you know, the next phase of Grey Dog, where everything is just, you know farm fresh, and just way more current. So how, you've never done table service, so you had to train your staff in doing table service. It's Grey Dog style. It's, yeah. you know, it's like, hey, you know, it's still friendly, and it's difficult to, you know, create the illusion for customers when, mm, you know. I know. Hi, you know, I got gloves on, protective gear. And they and, can't see smiles. I know. Right, so. It's hard. Um, but you do it, and we're actually... We're, we're kicking ass at it. I'm That's super great. proud of our team. Imagine that you know, every day you have to put your dining room outside. I then, can't imagine. You yeah. have to show up to work earlier than before because everything has to be set up outside? Yeah, pretty much. It takes a while. And yeah. so then you have it's 100 degrees out for the last couple of weeks. Night dining's wonderful, though, right it, now. It, it really is. And that's something that whatever, whatever it is, the city feels... It feels kind of special. Yeah, it feels like it's just for the locals. Yeah. Yeah, which and it, is cool because Grey Dog is my like the local spot. It we've been lucky to become that. Yeah. Um, I well, guess from day one we've had that kind of feel. So, how are you handling your marketing right now? Since it's such a different, it's, it's just such a different atmosphere at the Grey Dog and trying to keep those customers happy and. What are you guys doing? We we do a moderate like amount social of media. social media, but it's yeah. it's not something that we've ever gotten really strong at. 
Is it um, mainly word of mouth, would you say? We've always been word of mouth. Yeah. You know, in, in this landscape, I mean, we're, do, we're trying to grow in those ways. I don't know how to do that. You know, it's yeah. a whole different landscape. So do you have a team that helps you with their marketing and so, social media? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for you, it seems like, and I think this is what any successful business owner would do, you hire people for skills that you're not good at. Um, <laughs> that would be everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, please. You're um, good at the interaction, and that's why you have repeat customers, because they come for you, they come for the food, they come for the atmosphere. I, I think learning what you're not good at and knowing that you could trust other people to do it, that's been one of my biggest learning curves. Instead of trying to do everything, yeah. which for years I was under every sink fixing every leak and on the roof fixing ACs, and literally I did it all. Yeah. Um, and now I have an amazing team. You know, I trust, you know, they know what they're talking about. They know what they're doing. And that's the natural expansion of any business. You know, you have people that help you with these things. So here's my final question for you. Mm -hmm. As a successful restaurateur with five restaurants in New York City, which is arguably the most competitive city in the world, um, do you have any advice for aspiring restaurateurs? This one's pretty easy because I think I probably sit down with two or three people a month who have reached out and asked me that question. Oh, really? And so I, I kind of have a, a, standard, a standard line where I, I tell them, hey, get a job in the industry. You know, start yeah. that way. Don't just start out. Everybody has this fantasy. I want to open up a cafe with my significant other, and we're going to have this wonderful lifestyle. <laughs> and it's like, you got you to learn the language of the restaurant. There's a, there's a lot of stuff out there that it takes some grit to get through. Yeah. And what you walk in, when you walk into, per se, that's, that's heaven. But they're behind the scenes, I imagine. There's some, there's some significant changes so get a job in the industry. That's, and then you can take the next step. Learn if you like it, you know, mm -hmm. and, if, and then, you know, figure out the language. Figure out how to talk to the people and develop a relationship with the people who are really going to make things happen for you. And if you get that, if you, once you get there, then, yeah, take the dive. Mm. The second one, which has been really the secret to our success, is do everything for your staff. Give them the schedule that they need. Create the environment that they're going to succeed in. Once you've done that, they're going to want to come to work because they are going to know it's a special place. Yeah. And if you open up a company that you know, doesn't put them first, it's going to show. That's Treating who, people with respect. Yeah, that's who, we, that's who we were from day one. Right. We, we, never, we never altered from that because we didn't even know we were doing it. It was just natural. Like, Which of is course. Good. Yeah, that's how you do it. Like, how can you not? You know, and in this city, everybody's an actor. Everybody's a perform. You know, everybody's performing in some degree. So work around their stuff. Let them dream. If their dream could coincide with, you know, this dream, I think you got something. So that's wow. it. Wow. Well, that is incredible advice. It's been wonderful having you on the show, Dave. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for everyone who's tuned in today. If you want to learn more about The Gray Dog, visit thegraydog.com, follow them on Instagram at thegraydognyc, or better yet, why don't you step into one of their five Manhattan locations and try some of their delicious food. I promise you, your taste buds will thank you. 
That's all for this episode of School Apostle. Keep up with all of our episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you stream and download podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe to our show. We'll see you next time. Bye. When the Lord